If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. Hello. Good day. Good day. It is a good day because we have made it through the flood. Mm -hmm. We, and I say we as in we, but really it was Noah. Without even getting wet. There's no mouse in my pocket. Yeah. No. (laughs) They made it through the flood. They They made it through the flood. They landed on Mount Arat. They landed at the border, which now to current day is about the border of Turkey. And last episode, we were talking about Noah's response to the flood and what a sacrifice is and what it should be and what our response should be in those moments. And this week, we are setting the table. Oh, yeah. The table of nations. The table of nations. And we're actually picking up in the middle of chapter nine, 918. And the reason I broke it off there is because, of course, like you said, we had this response last week and it was just this, you just could sense they had this sweet harmony. You know, all the, the evil people have been wiped out and it's just Noah and he loves the Lord and his sons and they love the Lord and the Lord loves them and all is good. We're almost back to paradise until we get to 918. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so uh, we're going to jump in right here at 918 and we're going to talk about a couple things. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Okay, so we know it's God's plan that they multiply and spread out, and he's saying they're going to come from these three sons. And then we have this little aside. Why? I used to just gloss over these little asides in the Bible, and the aside here is Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, obviously, you know, it's it, why? Why is that there? Ham is clearly the middle son because he's mentioned in the middle, which that's usually what when they list sons in the Bible, it's always in the birth order because the birth order was really important. So we have this little aside. Why? All right. right. Why did they not also say, well, Shem was the father? Yeah, exactly. Because we're going to get into that in a minute. Yeah. It's almost a little redundant. Why did Moses just stick this in? Mm. Uh, now, but here's what we have to remember. Moses was writing this many years after the fact. So he knows the backstory and he's giving us a hint. He was writing for the Israels. He's really giving them the hint. The Israelites would have known well who the Canaanites were. Canaan, Canaanites. Mm -hmm. We're going to become tribes here. So Moses was simply pointing out what branch of the family the Canaanites came from. It would be like this, because if you don't know, the Canaanites were trouble. It would be like this. If you have an Uncle Tom who had a son who was a troublemaker, the troublemaker in the family, and his name was John. Every time Uncle Tom was mentioned, they would say, oh, you know, Uncle Tom, he's he's John's father. Like, oh, poor guy. He's the father of the troublemaker. Every family's got one. Every family's got one. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying... Yeah, all all the people are going to come from these three sons. You know, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Remember Ham? He's Canaan's father. And they'd be like, oh, <laughs> that's the one. That poor guy. Okay. All right. So we get this little aside. Pay attention. There's always reasons for the asides in the Bible. Just know that going forward. Okay. And but- I just want to tell everybody, too, we spent way too long trying to figure out maps and where all of these people ended up at what point and which, where they ended up um, migrating, all that stuff is in our show notes. Oh yeah, we're going to get to that. The table of nations, where they were, is going to be in the show notes. So we're getting there. 
So next, in this just one little section, we see that Moses tells us that all the people are going to come from just these three. Then Moses next is going to give us the backstory of why which son ends up scattered where. So my point is, we went from this tranquil relationship where everything was really good, and now we're going to get the backstory about why the people came from Ham, Shem, and Japheth ended up where they are. Verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. All right, Noah slips here. How long did it take for Noah to slip? All right, I went around about in this. I used to think it took many years, but then I Googled, it only takes like three years to make wine. So from vine planting to bottle, it can take as little as three years. I never knew that. And do you think that this was the very first vineyard ever planted? I I do. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But then I thought of this as far as the time lapse, like how long did it take for Noah to um, slip like this? Because it it clearly is going to have ramifications. Well, we're going to read again, getting back to Canaan that somehow Canaan is involved in this slip, fall, the fall, not the slip. And if that's the case, Canaan is Ham's youngest son. He had to be over toddler age. So this could have been, if you think that they started producing children the minute they landed uh, on Mount Ararat, it could be, you know, 10 years later. We just don't know. We don't know for a fact. Was it three years? Was it 10 years? Was it 15 years? In any case, Noah plants his vineyard and he slips because he gets drunk. So was Noah's slip an innocent mistake? All right, here are my thoughts about this. It is probable that this was the first time wine was made and Noah may have been unaware of its effects. We don't no, there's no mention of drunkenness or wine up until this point. Or even a warning that you shouldn't get drunk. So he Correct. doesn't know that this is potentially anything wrong. Correct. And I don't know if you tracked with us when I read that first verse, it got a little weird at the end. Like he's laying inside of his tent. Yeah, basically we're going to get there. Just, it's, uh, it, things are about to get a little weird. <laughs> right. Stick with us. Stick with us. It. This is the first verse about drunkenness of about 79 uh, in the whole Bible. Drinking is one of those choices on the path. If we go back to our lesson about the path, everything is a choice. And there are lots of verses that are warning signs on the path that you just mentioned. There are lots of verses in the Bible that warn about drunkenness. The drink isn't the problem. And I want people to hear me on this. Yeah, we're not judging. Jesus made wine out of water at the Canaan, at the wedding at Cana. And so it's not the drink that the, that's the problem. Drunkenness is the problem because the effects of alcohol lower our inhibitions and lead to unwise decisions. And that's probably what happened to Noah. Whatever he did, and we're going to get into that in the next verses, something was wrong. Yeah, and there's a lot of risky indulgences and we are not, there's no judgment in what we're saying right now, dear listener. We just want you to think through what are the things in our culture that you indulge in that might be leading you to have a lowered inhibition that might make you have bad decisions. And knowing yourself and how you react to whatever risky indulgence that you are taking a risk in is is how you control not becoming a master to it or not falling into sin about it. Uh, all right. 
So was Noah's slip and an innocent mistake? We don't know. Whatever Noah did when he became drunk led to him being uncovered or naked. So the next question I was thinking of was, was Noah held accountable for this slip? We don't know. Uh, The next passage we're going to read reveals that this is more about his sons than him. And because it is through this slip that Noah learns the true character of his boys' hearts and makes a remarkable prophecy. Yeah. So whether or not he was held accountable, he certainly holds his sons accountable for what is about to happen. Exactly. All right. Verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father naked. So we know that Noah slipped. It may have been innocent in making this wine or drinking too much of this wine. But clearly here, Ham falls. He saw his father's nakedness and he told his brothers. Not much to go on. But again, it said, Ham, the father of Canaan. Here's what we do know about this passage. Whatever he did, it was wrong and it revealed an impure heart. He took advantage of his father when he was incapacitated because we know he lay there uncovered and didn't respond. Whatever it was, it was bad enough that Shem and Japheth, when they heard about it, didn't want to see it because they take a blanket and go in backwards just so they wouldn't see. Yeah. So imagine it, like you, you, nobody wants to see their parents naked, right? Right. But Mostly. it was, it, we probably was more than that. Shouldn't. But yes, they do. We also know that whatever he did, his son Canaan was involved because we're about to read that the prophecy is directed at Canaan. So in my so head, Canaan, so Ham's son was also involved in correctly. whatever happened. Because he keeps getting mentioned in every verse and then the prophecy is totally directed just at Canaan. So the way it happened in my head is, I don't know, maybe Canaan was young. Maybe his father was immature and taught him immaturely. Maybe they had this little thing where they made fun of people. Maybe it was Canaan who went into the tent and called his dad said, dad, come see grandpa, you know, and then they both ridiculed him. I really don't know. I told you it was going to get weird. It's going to get weird, but both of them. Lastly, whatever they did, it was so bad that Noah realized it when he woke up. So this is, this is a big deal. And I'm going to give you what the commentators said in the, summary. The people smarter than us. Exactly. Ham slash Canaan, we're going to call it the Ham Canaan couple, delighted in Noah's embarrassing situation and ridiculed him. At the very least, we can pretty much 99% sure say that. We don't know what it was and we don't know what they did to ridicule him. Maybe they put him in funny positions. Maybe they spread rumors. How many rumors can you spread it to? You know, there's only six of them or and the grandchildren at this point. So that's one side of what the commentators say. The more, the more you know, deviant side would be that they may have sexually assaulted Noah or again, caught him in a sexual act. Maybe his wife was drunk too. Who knows? They don't mention her. There's not so. enough details. In there <laughs> There's no details. Know, but, but either way, we know something went down that was bad. We do. We also know that, and I'm going to touch on this in a little bit, that Sodom and Gomorrah came from Ham and it was, this, they were cities that raped people, which, you know, again, leads to some kind of sexual misconduct. Yeah. And we're going to read that in, in a future episode. Right. Another intriguing thing I read from the commentators was that this comparison between Eve and Ham. 
So Eve saw and delighted in the fruit and crossed a boundary that she knew was wrong. In the same way, Ham saw whatever he saw and delighted and he crossed a boundary. Whatever he did was wrong. And and you know what? I have a really hard time comparing eating fruit and having a crazy sexual sin like this. But I guess in the Bible, it does say that all sins are equal in the eyes of God. So they're all a sin, a sin, a sin. And we know that Eve, you know, had walked with God. So she had a much clearer relationship. I I don't know. I I, kind of hang with it that, yeah, I can't judge sin. I don't know what's worse in God's eyes. I'm not trying to judge. Oh, yeah, you are. No, (laughs) it's all it's all good. Um, So what happened then is Eve. Eve's sin resulted in nakedness. Ham's sin was because of nakedness. Oh, that is deep. That's a Bible bender. Yeah. So, you know, as, as sin grows, as the world grows, it all gets just weaves this little web and it just grows. All right. In contrast, we, so, you know, Ham slip, Ham falls, but Shem and Japheth, in contrast, stand firm in what they know is right. They both refuse to disrespect their father. And, and whatever was said probably made him curious but they didn't give into it. They walked in backwards so they wouldn't see it. They did not take part. And their actions illustrate something for us that is clear in the New Testament, that love and honor is what we are trying to work toward. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says, true love does not delight in evil. And that kind of really said to me what Ham must have done. He delighted in his father's slip. Yeah, so last episode, we were talking about the response and the the offering that you brought after. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about the response when something else happens to you. So a lot of this, I just want everybody to continue to think about what is my response in these situations and what, how am I responding that I could respond in a way that draws me closer to God instead of farther away. Well, and it goes back to the path of, as we've discussed, Ham could have looked at his father and said, oh man, my father slipped and stopped it right there. Instead, he chose the wrong path and And it just got worse. He brought his son into it, or maybe his son brought him into it. He could have stopped it in his son's life. He could have said, son, we don't do that kind of thing. No, I'm not going in there to look. You go to your tent because (laughs) you're doing the wrong thing. Instead, he delighted alongside his son. And that also speaks to influence and the weight of responsibility that we have in influencing the people around us. Correct. Proverbs 10 was another verse that I found that spoke to this. And it said, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. And that points to what? Shem and Japheth did. They covered their father's slip instead of stirring it up. Think about that. That is the backstory to why these nations became who they became. Now the Shem, Ham, Japheth future story starts in Genesis 24. Yeah. And spoiler alert, they are still fighting today. Yeah, they are. Just know that. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. He will be to his brothers. All right. Who was Noah's youngest son? Again, we speculate that this Canaan that Noah is referring to is being called his youngest son because it's his youngest grandson. And they did that often. They called all their children. And remember, they lived a long time. So they ended up having great grandchildren. They called them their sons because they were part of the blessing that the son would always receive. Right. Because you said just a minute ago, we 
we know that Ham is not the youngest son. He's the middle son he's because the middle. of the order in which they reference. And that's why he says, curse be Canaan, because it's really Ham's son. So somehow Canaan, probably under the influence of his father, um, Ham, was responsible for, for this initiating this act, whatever it and was. And either way, as parents, we're responsible for the actions of our kids. Correct. So carry on. Verse 26. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. And our shooting star exits just like that. But before we let him go, let's talk about this prophecy because it's crucial. His prophetic words were prophetic because they came true, but also it was a blessing and a curse. So the prophecy is important because it identifies the origin of the Canaanites as a consequence of sin. So they're going to be an example to us. It also reveals the basis for who the Canaanites are as a people and why they're going to be such a problem to Israel in the future. The pattern, this pattern that we see of Noah blessing his sons is going to continue and be important as we go through these patriarchs. They're all going to have sometimes what we think is rather fair or unfair blessings for their children. And you just kind of go, that's not fair, but it's going to happen. Trust me, we're going to get there, especially with Isaac. Life's not fair. It's not fair. And then, of course, we have that we're going to talk about more. This prophecy has one curse and two blessings. So let's talk first about Ham's curse. He will be a slave to his brothers. What does that mean? Well, the Canaanites, also called at times the Amorites, were destroyed at Sodom, as we will read eventually, and were defeated by Joshua, who was the leader of Israel after Moses. Um, and and Joshua came from, from the kind of Shem, the Shem stem, we'll call it. Ham's son, Canaan, his youngest, becomes a nation of degrading idolatry. It is widely speculated because of perverse archaeological artifacts and tales of Sodom and Gomorrah that the sin of Ham Ham, against his father led to widespread sexual temptation that was lived out for generations. And we're going to cover that story in Genesis. It's very interesting. Shem's blessing. So that's our curse. Shem's blessing is God will be the God of Shem and Japheth will live in his tents. Well, the name Shem means, and he shall dwell. The prophecy is that Shem has knowledge of God, and it is through Shem that God will be revealed. Shem's descendants become the nation of Israel, aka just two chapters away, or is it next chapter? Abraham. And this is eventually where Jesus comes from. Exactly. So Japheth's blessing is really interesting to me because I kind of feel that's where I, that's the tribe I'm from. His territory will be extended. And if you look at the map that we're going to put in the show notes, that is what he does have the biggest territory. The little literal translation here is God will enlarge Japheth and Japheth will share in Shem's blessing, i.e. dwell in his tent. Japheth is the father of basically the Gentiles. His enlargement refers to the bringing of the Gentiles into Shem's tent, into Israel through Christ. That's us. And Japheth went north, right? So yes, Japheth is going to go north and kind of in the very beginning, you know, all the aisles. I'm going to get into it a little bit more in, in, There's a, in a, map a minute. For There's those a map. of you who are visual <laughs> yeah. like me, but remember they land in Turkey or around where Turkey is. Mm-hmm. Ham goes south, Shem goes east, and Japheth goes north. Yes. 
I had to think about it. <laughs> um, to me, this blessing curse, this this um, future story of what's going to happen to them is kind of a lesson that, you know, your response to sin uncovers the truth of your heart. And we think, you know, we can hide what we're thinking, but we really have to challenge ourselves. What am I thinking? Because at some point, how I react to things is going to reveal yeah. my heart. And you can't hide anything from God. But beyond that, how do you respond when someone else sins? Oh, yes. Whether it was Ham or his son, Canaan, somebody sinned and then somebody didn't do the right thing the way that Shem and Japheth did. So even if it's not something as serious as some kind of sexual sin, is it gossip for you? Is it when you're around somebody else who's not being nice to someone? Is it a racial thing? Is it is it something that anything that, that you experience that somebody else isn't doing the right thing? Are you standing up and saying, no, this is wrong and we need to correct it? Is it something in business? That's that mm-hmm. somebody is cheating and and you should say something, whatever it is, are we have a response in that moment to get back on the path? You know, I've often pondered, you know, just even like 15 years ago, if you heard news or you heard something bad about somebody, it kind of had to sit with you for a few days before you would run into somebody or you'd pick up the phone and stand at the wall and kind of talk to them about it. Or, or, you know, you didn't have, you couldn't express about it right away. We didn't have social media, but now because we have social media, people can react without really thinking it through and and pondering it and kind of letting it sit with them. And, And they do. And they do. And that's why I think we trip so much over our sin and our tongues and our thoughts is because we we can react too quickly and there's no accountability in that. So, okay, let's get to this table of nations. These three sons become 70 documented nations right here. It's called the table of nations and it's the geneal- genealogical list of these nations that were the descendants of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And remember in the Bible, lineage is really important because God is mapping for us that this seed that's going to overcome the serpent is going to come from a family. We will have the map in the show notes. It's number 16. It's called the Table of Nations from the Holman Bible Atlas. And I want you to remember that Adam to Noah was 10 generations. Now Shem to Abraham is going to be another 10. However, in this most recent 10, we're going to have a population explosion that forms these 70 nations. So when God says after the flood, be fruitful, multiply, it is going to happen. The 70 nations are break down like this. Japheth has 14, Ham has 30, and Shem has 26. Starting in chapter 10. Here we go. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth. Oh, here, I got to read a bunch of names. Yeah, you do. Sorry. Okay. Buckle in. Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. I'm sure I'm butchering most of these names. No, you're doing pretty good so far. Half Jewish. They're going to get worse. Frizzy hair to prove it. No idea how to pronounce the names. frizzy hair. That's called humidity in Florida. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Which is where we live. The sons of Gomer. Buck doesn't have frizzy hair. (laughs) Buck the editor does not have any hair for those of you who are listening. He has some. Well, yeah, he does. Sorry, Buck. (laughs) Reading on. The sons of Gomer. Ashkenaz, Rephoth, and Tugamora. 
the sons of Javan, Elishas, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. From these, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. These are the Japhethites, 14 nations, the fewest, the smallest group. They spread northwest of Canaan and fan out into Greece, the Mediterranean, and eventually Europe. Traces of them were even found in Germany, France, Spain, and Britain, which of course led to America. In the Bible, this territory was often described to as the Isle of Nations, and it meant all places beyond the sea because, of course, they couldn't see very far. So anything beyond the sea in Judea are called the Isles. They, they still just, thought the world was they, flat then. Well, they just thought everything but them was an island. Uh, they were just all the Isles. Now, there is one little sweet prophecy that I could find about those Isles, and it's in Isaiah 42, 4, and it says, the Isles shall wait for his law. So we're just all those people floating out there that are waiting for his law. And this was a prophecy regarding the Isles and foretells of the conversion of the Gentiles to the faith of Christ when they're brought into the tent of Shem. Verse six, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, which is the youngest son. Which is our proof that he was the youngest. There yes, you go. Canaan, they're listed as last in the order. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabdoth, Rama, and Sebka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of the kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalaneh in Shinar. From the land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rebuthir, Kala, and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. Egypt was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lebites, and Naphthites, Patherites, Kalishites, from whom the Philistines came, the Capthrites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girishites, Havitites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zamorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clans scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerir as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adama, and Zibium as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. And you're probably wondering how I got the <laughs> lovely job to read all of these names. You have a much better Thanks. voice than I do. Seriously. At least you sound good. <laughs> you may not be pronouncing well, but you sound great. All right. Lots of asides in this one, of course, because remember Moses is writing this for the Israelites and these names would have been emblazoned in their brain because the Philistines, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites, they are all, they were a problem in the promised land. Thorns in their side. Oh, for They're sure. constantly at war with. For sure. So that's why, and we're reading all the names because again, we think it's really important here. This is the Bible book club and we're reading we the Bible and we're going to make sure that you read every word, even if oh, no, it's they just painful. have to listen. They don't have to read. Well, you're reading it. I'm reading it for you. So this is our biggest group, 30 nations, and they spread south and east into Egypt and Africa. And there were traces in Southwest Arabia along the coast. They are the father of the nations of Egypt, Babylon, and Assyria, all deadly foes of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, remember, they're going to take, two of these groups are going to take Israel captive and one's going to burn the temple. It's just bad news all the way. They sing 
single out Nimrod. He is the only one who's really mentioned here. His name means we shall rebel. He is the founder of Babel, which is, of course, becomes Babylon. They later take Israel captive, though. Other names that we see over and over, I just mentioned, but side note, Esau is going to take a wife from the Hittites. So again, you have these nations populating and at points they are going to intermingle with the, with the Israelites and it's going to be a problem, an ongoing problem. Moving on to Shem. Verse 21. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shalaf, Harmazaveth, Hera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jabab. All these were the sons of Jokan. The region where they lived stretched from Mesha toward Sephir in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. 26 nations. This is smaller than Ham, but not by much. Sons of Eber get a special byline. Why? Well, because theirs is the line of Christ. Eber becomes the Israelites through Abraham. And they lived mostly at this time in that Fertile Crescent area that we've talked about. Persia, Mesopotamia, Northern Assyria, Palestine, Jordan, and Arabia. At this point in our book, Japheth fades out of the storyline and really doesn't reappear until the New Testament. The descendants of Shem become our protagonists for the rest of the Old Testament. And the descendants of Ham in our story will become the antagonists. Again, they're still fighting today. (laughs) So like most great battles, the point of conflict in our story going forward is going to be land. So many battles in our world have been fought over land and this one is no different. If you take a look back at map two, which we shared a couple uh, episodes ago, it was the one called Modern and Ancient Middle East. East, and it's in our show notes. If you look at the green space in the middle, that is called the Fertile Crescent. Well, that's where Shem's going to start and then move towards the east, toward the promised land once we get into like, um, you know, after Moses. And that's where Ham's people live. So let's talk for a second about this Fertile Crescent um, because that's where Ham intersects with Shem. Well, I looked up a lot on this because I didn't know as much about this territory. But um, and I have show notes in in the show notes about I have a note in the show notes about a picture. Yeah, well, I have that map that shows exactly where it From is. From your favorite, your mm-hmm. favorite atlas. Bi- Bible home and atmos- atlas, yes. This fertile crescent is often called the cradle of civilization because it is where civilization seems to have started. It is a region in the Middle East which curves like a quarter moon shape from the Persian Gulf through modern day southern Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and northern Egypt. The region is recognized for contributions to, to world culture stemming from these great civilizations of ancient 
ancient Mesopotamia, which included the Sumerians, Babylonians, Assyrians, Egyptians, and Phoenicians. Virtually every area of human knowledge was advanced by these people, including science, technology, writing, literature, religion, um, agricultural, math, astronomy, the domestication of animals, trade, medicine, the wheel, the concept of time. The Fertile Crescent is traditionally associated in the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim faith with the earthly location of the Garden of Eden. So, so can I ask you, when you're talking about all of these things, some of these things did come out of Egypt and out of the area where Ham's people were. Oh, absolutely. And so it's not that, it's just that they're fighting, but it's not that they're all bad people. There are great advancements that come out of that area. Exactly. And if we fast forward to Exodus, we'll see Moses was educated in the house of Pharaoh and he brought that to the Israelites and then had the Ten Commandments published, you know? So without it, would Moses have known how to read and write if he'd been born a slave? Absolutely not. No, the like Tubal Cain, like we studied before the flood. Was that Tubal Cain? It was Tubal Cain, I think. I don't know what Tubal Cain. Who is. developed music and the lyre? Cain's Cain's sons. Tubal Cain, yes, it was. Cain's sons, not Abel's sons, but Cain's sons became very musical and developed all this great technology, other, you know, great things. He was, they were living, promoting evil, but they still developed great technology. I mean, smart people are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and still do good things, yeah. which is why they need to make better choices. Exactly. Okay. The Fertile Crescent today. Okay. This kind of made me sad because I read this, that the Fertile Crescent today is um, rapidly becoming so only a name. Uh, and that's, of course, due to climate change change, damming of rivers, and then this draining project they have over there. And these fertile marshlands, which used to cover like almost 7,000 square miles, have shrunk to 770 square miles. Even after continued long-term threats to the environment were made, no government um, sanctions have been put on these people. And so it's just becoming worse, which kind of makes me sad. This is the cradle of civilization. And that's where all of the great things came out of that we look to today. Today. And they settled there, right? Because it was a really fertile area. They were able to have water. They were able to grow their crops. And it was um, a way for them to sustain this society for a very long time. So just one of the things that I was thinking about, could it be, I don't know. And this is the, this is my, like me up in my head space, but like, could it be like, there was an importance of the physical presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And like, there was a, there was a temple. There was, um, th- there was where God dwelled and everything. It was a physical spot. Um, and where like today, where the importance of that going out and where God dwells is now in us, are we seeing, you know, where his people used to dwell and everything, it was fertile and it was beautiful and it was lush and everything. And it's not like the removal of God from that, but it's, it's the removal of what people think is important Mm. where God's saying like, okay, this fertile crest isn't important anymore. Not the way it used to be Mm. because the way it used to be, it was important because that was my house, you know? Right. But now God's saying, I want to dwell in you. I want to see you flourish. I want to see you make a difference in your community. I want to see for the gospel, Mm -hmm. not just an actual physical place where like, it's beautiful. Well, if you think about it, it was, okay, so if the Garden of Eden was there Mm. and that the trees were there of knowledge, Mm -hmm of good and evil. And he closed that off. Yeah. So now you can't get close to that anymore. It's like seriously shrinking from us. It's like yeah. withering to nothing. And he has to give us that knowledge with our Holy Spirit. Like we have to rely on the Holy Spirit because I don't know, we're like moving further and further and further away from it. Yeah. But then do we all have a responsibility to carry that 
fertile crescent with us and live it out Absolutely. through our lives yeah. as our offering. Yeah. Well, that's how we praise. Remember, we, we talked about that last week by always giving God the glory. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for Buck's Corner. Buck's Corner. All right. So just to recap, you have a choice. You are on a path. And as you are going along your path, all the things that you encounter every day, you have a choice and you have a choice to be like Ham and take one path, or you could be like his brothers who did the right thing and they take a different path. So where do you need to examine your life today and what do you need to change so that you stay on the path that God has for you? Great question. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.